unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, dear Ramblers, we are going back to 1989, back in the 80s, almost the 90s, to celebrate, enjoy, and revisit one of George and I's favorite films from growing up. It is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, given to us by... None other than Mr. Steven Spielberg, and obviously produced by Mr. George Lucas. I was going to say, like Raiders, I would expect there to be some Lucasy fingerprints all over this. So Harrison Ford back in what everyone hoped and probably still does today was his last outing as Indiana Jones. Um, that we go to some crazy places, we go to some familiar places, but to take things up a notch, we've got the actors that made the original Raiders of the Lost Ark what it was. And I think there's a certain somebody who has been added we have none other than sean connery not on the podcast but but in spirit oh always always but what a, what a time this was for, for him so am i right in thinking is this hot off the tales of or was this just preceding his uh supporting no this skills? is ju- this is um so i think the untouchables was 87 so yeah this is a good he's had a hot couple of years yeah one of the heels uh of his but he's interestingly he's still credited as sean connery not sure sure um but yeah i think as i mentioned when we covered uh george and i did a live show uh when we did raiders and lost ark uh so look up for that on the internet if you can find it but, but we've also done it as a, a regular podcast as well. We've done it twice. Um, but it so we, good, we did it twice. But yeah, I mean, I think I, I would, this that would be a difficult one. If you, if you put me in a room with a gun with two bullets, I'd probably shoot myself to try and decide which is better between Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, it's a very tough decision to make, but we, we covered it twice. And I think I said at the time that even though Raiders of the Lost Ark is the best indiana jones i've still got a lot of time for the last crusade i think it's almost my i, I think i went on to say it's my favorite yes simply because it has sean connery in it that tips the balance for me yes i think i'm very i was going to say the exact same thing and it's probably because you've said to me previous is like whilst raiders of the lost ark is technically arguably, <laughs> arguably one of the best action films ever made action adventure whatever you want to call it and the 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 best indiana jones film this is my favorite i think the latest installment so we should should we take a moment just before we jump into this film george uh, obviously there is an another yes ladies and gentlemen another indiana jones film out of the cinema this is the fifth one yes depending on on your thoughts on kingdom of the crystal skull um, so yes, we are being completely shameless. We're tapping into the zeitgeist. Yes, there's a new Indiana Jones film. It'll probably be out by the time you listen to this podcast. Tapping uh, into the zeitgeist or giving somebody something nicer to remember. Take your pick. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> um, and yes, whilst we have already covered Raiders of the Lost Ark, you think it would be logical to move on to the next film. 
which is Temple of Doom, which is a prequel. Um, however, when Charlie and I were chatting through this, we thought it was fitting as this is intended and being hyped as Indiana Jones' uh, last adventure, the, the Dial of Destiny, and he's back to fighting Nazis. It would only be right to go and cover Last Crusade. I also think somehow that that guy from Short Round from Temple of Doom, who's in Everything Ever There all at once, I, I feel like he's got another film in his back pocket. I think he's going to have something good that we're all going to go and see in the next few years and then we can do Temple of Doom. Anyway, we're backtracking. We digress. So this time, ladies and gentlemen, it's 1989. It's Steven Spielberg. It's what Retro Ramble's all about. George, is there anything else we need to say before we launch into this? Quickly before I, I roll the trailer, just a, a usual disclaimer, if this is your first Retro Ramble listen. So... Charlie and I, we are brothers, and the whole purpose of this podcast is for Charlie and I to go back and rediscover the films that we grew up with and looking at what made them so great. Do they still hold up? Uh, have they been remade, spun off into a new Netflix series or what have you? Um, so it's an affectionate, uh, light-hearted look back at the films of our youth. So there'll be trivia, there'll be us reviewing it. Um, but yeah, we'll, it's like an old friend. We'll, we sometimes like to have a bit of fun with it. Uh, so sit back and enjoy the ride. Excellent. How are you doing with the trailer? Do you need me to spitball? Do you need me to try? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's all good to go. Um, oh, and fi finally, without saying, I mean, we're going to go into this film in detail. So there will be spoilers from the very off. But if you haven't seen this film, what have what? you been doing? are you doing with your life yeah really so uh yeah um i think we are good to go i will i will share my screen okay uh, i'm just I... gonna turn down some john williams music and then turn up some other john williams music release okay. the trailer <laughs> We're about to complete a great quest. The Holy Grail, Dr. Jones. Oh, rats. <laughs> this is it. Look, the shield is the second marker. We found it. Indiana Jones is on the quest of a lifetime. <laughs> but for some adventures, one Jones is not enough. Dad? Junior? Don't call me that, please. Follow me! Another way! Ah! A race across three continents. And in this sort of race, there's no silver medal for finishing second. Hang on, Dad! We're going in! Into the homeland of the enemy. Nazis. I hate these guys. Our situation has not improved. It is search for the Holy Grail. How dare you kiss me? Are you crazy? Don't go between them! Go between them! Are you crazy? Where's my father? In the belly of that steel beast. Dad! Archaeology. The quest for the Grail 
It's not archaeology. It's a race against evil. Germany has declared war on the Jones boys. Those people are trying to kill us. I know that. It's a new experience for me. Happens to me all the time. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Have the adventure of your life. Keeping up with the Joneses. So, George, 1989. Uh, this is summer of 1989. What a um, summer. When I, when, I, when I say those numbers, all I think of is Batman. Was Batman, was it summer? Was it Christmas? Was it, was it summer for the US and Christmas for us? Remind me. No, no, it was, it was all summer. So, so Batman uh, was, they, we're, we're all roads lead back to Batman. Uh, no, um, Batman was, I think, released in the States in like M- April, May, probably May. Uh, and I don't think we got it until July. So there was a few months between, and I think. But it the, was a summer blockbuster. So so the, it, across the summer, depend, it doesn't matter whether it was UK or US. Um, so yes, there was Batman, Last Crusade. Lethal Weapon 2, Ghostbusters 2, Back to the Future 2, Look Who's Talking, and one of the greatest films ever made, Tango and Cash. What a time to be alive. Imagine being 10 or 11 years old. I can't... Oh, no. Wait a minute. Yes, I can. I can imagine. Uh, but uh, full full credit where it's due uh, to all of those uh, people who didn't like the turn we took on Tango and Cash. I didn't see it when it came out of the cinema. <laughs> Speaking of this, I'm uh, just jumping into first memories. So, I this is one of my first uh, fond memories of the cinema. Obviously, previously we've talked about me seeing such cinematic classics. Some of my first cinema outings were the double whammy, the canon double whammy of Superman Four and Masters of the Universe. However, I remember, yeah, going to the UCI in the Metro Centre to see this. Uh, but the the one reason I remember it is because I remember it's the first time I saw the trailer for Batman. And so I would have been yeah five at the time. And I remember just being really confused at the Batman trailer. I was like, OK, so you've got Batman, you've got the Joker. And who's this creepy other guy? Oh, no, that's Michael Keaton. <laughs> and also, <laughs> why am I seeing the end of the film before I've seen the film itself? That was the age yeah. you were at. You were like, "What's yeah. a trailer? What's a trailer?" Um, yeah, it was. It was really confusing. It was like, "What's it between these three guys?" I didn't get the whole Bruce Wayne thing. I was just like, "Yeah, who's the still who's don't the cre- trust Michael Keaton? Who's the creepy guy with the weird eyebrows?" And oh, that's that's Michael Keaton. So, yes, that is my my one memory, <laughs> ironically, of this film is of another film. But I remember enjoying it lots i remember as as every indiana jones film i remember being a little bit scared um but that may be the reason why as we were talking about before the trailer this is probably my favorite sort of go-to comfort movie of of the indiana jones saga i think uh you know just to quickly touch on first memories yeah you're talking about um a golden age for us uh it was the metro center it was the best of times it had just opened. It was recently opened. I was so going to say it was probably not long after it opened. Yeah, and the UCI was all fresh and new. It hadn't really Shiny. been bought. Didn't had, smell it of vomit or spilt coke. It hadn't crashed and burned, and taken over and replaced by somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody else. It was all new, and um, the whole concept that we could go to the mall 
like we'd seen in the films from many years previous mm. and actually go and see a film was very new to us. Um, and it became, it was, um, I don't know, right. A passage. It was like 13, 14, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, mm. 14 years old. It was like, it was, can we get into the 12? We can't get into the 50 that would come later in life. But yeah, this was that era. It was that, um, this was actually pre 12 films. This was, this was, you know, Pete, well, don't go with your parents or don't go at all. You won't get in. Well, yeah, this uh, this was the summer that the, the the 12 certificate in the UK was introduced. It was introduced for, for Batman, uh, I think. Um, ironically, the PG-13 was introduced in, in America for the release, of the double whammy of Temple of Doom and Gremlins. So... Probably, probably a wise choice. I remember 12s being, there was something like there was the Eric the Viking. I think yeah. somebody got stabbed. That was a 12. There was a few films that came out that tried to ride the wave of the 12. But enough about those. This was the, just as George and I look back to the age of DVD when that came out, this was a golden age of cinema. We were going to the cinema. We were 11, 12. You know, we were in our young ages going there. It was a weekend thing. It was our life. And to go and see a film like this was amazing. It's like, it's Sean Connery. It's Sean Connery. You know him. He's at the end of the Robin Hood film. No, obviously, George and I had That was still to up. come. Still to that come. Was, I, I'm getting my years mixed yeah. up. George and I had grown up with, with this guy. And so I think that's what lives on in, is that you've got two of your biggest heroes together in a film backed up by the likes of uh, Denim Elliott and was it John Rhys-Davies? Yeah, Jonathan Rhys-Davies. Um and there's, then there's the bad guys, you know. So I think what this film is, is this is a, I mean, George is obviously, I think we're about to punch a ticket to, um, we're going to fly a plane on a red line across the map to production chat island. George is going to fill us in on what he can. But I feel like this was a retreading of Spielberg and Lucas saying, yeah, we could do it again and, and we could celebrate it and then we won't touch it ever again. We'll walk away. Indeed, indeed. Well, yes, you you've got your ticket. We're, we're as you say, we're on the uh, the water plane, or no what have you? Ticket, no ticket. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, obviously, we've we've covered the the origins of of the character and and the idea uh, back in our our Raiders episode. But when they were coming up with the idea, and I think when they sold it in to Paramount, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, there's conflicting reports. There's I've read reports of saying they always intended it to be a trilogy. And I've also mm. read that there was always plans to make it a five-part film back in 1980. We will eventually cover Temple of Doom at some point, as, we, as we've said. But I'm this happy is... to do that as either a standalone or as a sequel, sequel, some sort of sequel celebrations where we look at Empire, Empire Strikes Back and maybe Temple of Doom together or something, or a Harrison Ford special, something like that. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get around to it eventually. Um, but yeah, this film is is a bit of a course correction to to Temple of Doom. So, uh, Temple of Doom, as m- many people will will kind of gather, and and it's fairly well known. It was, whilst it was successful, it was deemed a lot darker than than Raiders. It was quite a a dark, scary film, as I just you know said before. It it required a new certificate in the states. And both Spielberg, I think Spielberg admitted that both he and Lucas were going through difficult divorces at the time. And that was kind of channeled into their creative output. And Um, a lot of LSD. (laughs) And a lot of LSD. (laughs) A lot of hookers and blow. No, no, that's that's just us uh, just spitballing. However, yes, I think 
due to the sort of critical and commercial response, I think it was still, you know, a successful film, but I think it was back to formula. Let's get back to the fun and excitement of Raiders. Um, however, Spielberg, as we know, in the 80s was a very busy man. He was, whilst he was churning out loads of Oscar winning films, he was also, as we've all chatted about on plenty of other episodes, producing a lot of films as well. And at this time, uh, it's sort of in the around the 1987-88 time, uh, he was hard at work on Rain Man. As we know, it, Rain Man is not a Steven Spielberg film. That's because his old buddy, George Lucas, uh, called him up and was like, yeah, you, you, want, you want to make another Indiana Jones? Remember, you said we'd, we'd do three. So, yes, he, he had to drop his plans on Rain Man uh, quite sort of begrudgingly. And I think he was also doing some, I don't think he was doing pre-production, but he was quite far down the line to direct big as well. So Spielberg, very busy man. And so he just produced, made... he just produced big? Uh, I don't know if he produced it. I feel like it his or... fingerprints are on it somewhere. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure what extent. I'm, I'm sure he probably gets some credit on, on Rain Man. It might be executive production as well. Um However, yeah, so they went, uh, they got, you know, the uh, all guns blazing on making Indiana Jones 3. So they had um, a few ideas firing around and they went back to some of the ideas they, they threw around for Temple of Doom. Um, one of them, Charlie, it's a return to one of our oldest features, involves monkeys. I was going to say monkey magic. Monkey, monkey magic. magic. So um, there is um, the Monkey King from Chinese mythology. And that was a a, a rough idea for Temple of Doom. And they went in a different direction. However, they went back to that idea. So they had there was two different ideas. There was the Monkey King idea. And then there was the idea of having it set in this haunted castle in Scotland. So they got um, Chris Columbus. The writer-director, he'd written uh, Gremlins he'd go, and written Goonies. He would go on to do Home Alone and even Harry Potter. So Chris Columbus uh, wrote a, a couple of drafts of Indiana Jones and the Monkey King. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, I've, I've, re- I've read a synopsis, a very wacky synopsis of the script. So uh, it features a haunted castle at the start. Then he's off to Africa he uh, Indiana Jones is chased by Nazis. One of them has a mechanical arm that's also a gun, and then later is fires electricity. So biomechanical cyborg Nazis. Um, there's <laughs> love there's, pi- there's pirates, monkey armies, uh, and that sounds like something out of Congo, and peaches that grant eternal life. Right. Interestingly, it also features a boat chase and a tank chase. Um, they'd even got as far as location scouting in Africa, then realized it was a terrible idea. Um, Monkeys. Because of its uh, negative depiction of African natives, because I think there was like cannibal tribes. And they ultimately said the script was just too wacky and too unrealistic. So. They scrapped That's that. not what the monkeys thought, though. If you asked any of the chimps that were involved in making the film, they were up for it. They were up for the um, limelight. I mean, yeah, you know, um, Harrison Ford spent three months uh, rehearsing with a monkey, but, you know, that's <laughs> beside the point. Um, 
So, yeah, they, they went back to the drawing board and Lucas had always wanted to do something about the Holy Grail. Um, but Spielberg was worried it would remind people of Monty Python. Um, he was just like, yeah, anytime someone mentions it, they're going to think, run away, <laughs> run away. <laughs> but yeah, they they admitted that with Last Crusade, they wanted to go back to the roots. And so they brought back the Holy Grail um, as they rejected it a couple of times for it being too ethereal. And the, there was still the idea of the haunted house, the castle thing, which obviously is now morphed into the Nazi castle in the middle of the movie. But one of the reasons Spielberg didn't want to focus on that was he felt it was too similar to Poltergeist, which he had um, he had produced and written and some say ghost directed. That's that's not a pun. But yes, Spielberg's input, whereas Lucas was like, it has to be about the Grail. Spielberg was like, we have to include Indiana Jones's dad in it. And his feeling was that the Grail didn't offer a huge amount of special effects. So the the, the climax was more, it was more about a metaphor of the son seeking the father and the father and you know seeking reconciliation with the son. Um, and it goes back to the roots of of Indiana Jones. Spielberg said, you know, who else is going to play the father of Indiana Jones if not James Bond himself? So I think. Connery was top of the list of we have to get this guy. And I, I've got a few others on coulda, woulda, shoulda, but in Spielberg's mind, it was like, well, it has to be Bond. Well, for me, it's not just Bond. It's it's Connery. It's Yes, it is. It's, the big, big, it's, it's bigger. He's bigger <coughs> than Bond. He's, he's, he's bloody but Sean also, Connery. But also, what the if you look at the what this this role is, what I like about this is the, the fact that we've we're established the character in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And in Temple of Doom, it's like, oh, he's doing another adventure. And then when we get it, I think it would be hard for it to be third time lucky that he's fallen in. I think what's done brilliantly, the way that Spielberg sets us up, or Lucas, or the two of them, is the fact, oh, no, it's not you. It's your dad. And it's the fact, oh, yeah, the, yeah. the grail was my dad. You, you're talking to the wrong Jones is, is a brilliant line. And it like shows that they're you know, two, cut from the same cloth. But the, that he's followed his father's footsteps. Like, oh, you can't. I can't help you. I mean, mm. just like what I'm like for the the Grail. Sorry, what I'm like for the the Ark. My dad was like that for the Grail. I was like, well, you know, I think it's just yeah. brilliant, and, brilliant story storytelling. And the interesting dynamic for most of the film, it's not he's trying to find the Grail. He's trying to re- find and save his dad. And it's only yeah. until the end, it's like, well. They've got the they've got the coordinates. They know where it is. We're going to have to stop them. You didn't um, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> I should have sent it to the Marx Brothers. She talks in their sleep. <laughs> apparently, Classic that's a, Connery. He that's a Sean, that's a Sean uh, Connery ad lib. Apparently, he just improvised it on set, and everyone was pissing themselves laughing. And Spielberg's like, "Well, that's staying in. That's going to uh, stay in." According to. Um, Frank Marshall, who produced it, he said, yeah, there was everyone was signed on to do three. And there was always that idea of what do we do with the the closing of the trilogy? And it was, yeah, that's why it was important to bring in uh the father. Henry Jones Sr. Obviously quite I think famous. it explains so much in terms of backstory. Like we talk about general exposition, about um economic exposition and this is a masterclass for me like filling in all the gaps you didn't you didn't i think uh this came up on an empire podcast about was it the lone ranger or 
So it's, oh, this is how he got his hat. This, but in this, it's done with eloquence. It's like, this is how he gets the whip. This is how he gets the hat. This is, do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't think it's too heavy handed. I think it kind of works. Unfortunately, I think other weaker films would go on and repeat this. Yes, but uh, yeah, again, as you say, it's it does it so economically. And again, it's a nice, it's a bit like a, a Bond cold open. And, and that's it, all the, the Indiana Jones have the, the brilliant the mini open. The cold open. I mean, it's one of the highlights of Temple of Doom. That whole thing in the the Club Obi One. You know, that's that's a brilliant opening sequence. But yeah, this is is so well done, and obviously the the brilliant. You know, uh, taken far too soon. Uh, River Phoenix. So apparently, he was handpicked by Harrison Ford to play him because they had been in a film together previously, The Mosquito Coast. And so yeah, Harrison Ford was like. I've performed with this guy and apparently on the Mosquito Coast, he was constantly impersonating Ford and taking the piss out of him. And he's like, said to Spielberg, you've got to use this kid. He's brilliant. And obviously River Phoenix's star was on the rise anyway at that point. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's genius casting it, the, the mannerisms. And as you say, there's, there's all the little bits that he gets, but it doesn't feel, I don't know, maybe it is nostalgia, but it doesn't feel too forced. And maybe it's the fact that, as you say, other films have tried to do it, like the Han Solo film and, and other stuff. Yeah. To compare them, I feel like those films have done it, like this entire set piece, this entire part of the story is about yeah. him getting his hat and his wig. Yeah. Whereas I feel like we've got, it's it's so economic at the beginning. It's like, we've got this little mini adventure. And I think this is them going back to what I remember you telling me about the original inspiration for uh, the Indiana Jones story, the cartoons, the whatever. This yeah, the yeah, the serials. Yeah, yeah. This, this was the type of, the typical type of story, the cartoon, comic, whatever, that it was inspired upon. And the fact that it's done so quickly and it's like, okay, so what else can happen? It's like, well, we've got them um, on a train. Well, that's going to be cool. And what's on the train? Well, animals and snakes and lions and whips and, and in the gets and, a and magic. Okay. Yeah. And they do all in like 15 minutes. It's like brilliant. And so, whereas I feel like, as you say, Han Solo and some other films, like we get 15 minutes of nothing that's connected. And then at the end, we get given of something yeah. that we've lived with for years. So, but yeah, it's, um, it's quite a nice trick at the start because your the reveal, you think it's, oh, it's, it's Indiana Jones. It, it, he's he's obviously digging for something and the reveal you don't see the guy's face who's wearing the hat he's got the leather yeah. jacket and then it quickly reveals oh no it's 1912 or whatever and the kid is Indiana Jones it's a nice sort of r- rug pull I feel like Spielberg's really shown his um his capabilities in period pieces it's funny like you think of like if you look back at his films like yes he's done some great modern day stuff but like when you look at the stuff like Saving Private Ryan and this and this is like he's jumping all over the place and it's yeah. like he he gets it spot on and I don't know there's something about and I can't wait to do Temple of Doom but there's something about Spielberg and Lucas it's like I almost feel like they did a lot of they've done some of the most successful projects that have ever been made let's not shy away from that but it might have been I would have loved them to have made more films together and is that me I think mm-hmm. I was maybe being a little bit greedy considering yeah. what they have actually created together. But I would well, love to have seen more. It's funny you talk about the period thing, because uh, Spielberg, I think, had just made... I think this was uh, the film he'd done previously was Empire of the Sun, which I watched fairly recently and is a great film. It's a very depressing film. But obviously, it's a great, you know, World War II P 
piece and yeah, period piece. And I don't has think it's got it, a miniature Batman in it. It has got a mini Batman, it has got a young <laughs> Christian Bale in it. It didn't, I don't think it worked like whilst it was nominated for loads of awards, it didn't win anything. And I think Spielberg felt a little bit in a rut. And I think these films, to go back to what you were saying before, it's almost like those two just being kids again. It's like, okay, well, you know, it's like playing with their toys. Okay, what do we want to do? It's like playing with our action figures. Okay, well, how can we make this fun? And it, it is channeling, yeah, the stuff that they grew up with when they were kids. And but do you not feel you... it always has an adult adult punch to it? It's almost like the stuff that they do together, where it's almost like it's it's a little bit, it's that real, that ridge edge of PG-13, PG, whatever you want to call it. They're really on the edge of this is acceptable. Oh, yeah. I'm a little bit scared. It's like this, you he's, never he's, say he's... that it's too tame. Yeah, he's killing lots of people. Let's let's yeah. not forget, you know, he's not gunning down lots of people, but there is an iconic moment in the later in the film where he shoots three Nazis at once. Um He also so, does hit two people with one punch at the start of this film on the boat, which I was like, gotta try, gotta perfect that. Can I can I just say I it, it popped up in the trailer. I love the, I think it's so it's is it iconic to this series? But the sound of the punches being thrown yeah, is so is. Indiana Jones, isn't it? I feel like, I mean, we haven't done Doom for a while, Temple of Doom. I was like, that's from the first film. You know, yeah. when he, it's when he's punching that big, big, bald Nazi on the plane, on the bomber. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, it's credit to uh, it's the same guy who did sound all the sound design. effects, uh, sound designer on Star Wars. It's Ben Burt, the guy, you know, came up with, the sound of the TIE fighters, the lightsabers, everything. And yeah, it's the same with yeah, Indiana Jones. He's like a iconic sound designer. And that's why it's just, yeah, so ingrained in the brain, like those but you sounds. you feel it. You feel yeah. it. Like you're saying about those punches in Indiana Jones and it's like the whip. And it's like, it's the, it's also the sound of the, the cult, um, Oh, what is the, it? The, the pistol. The, M- the MP19, the one of the most reliable revolvers there is. And it's, it is the sound of that being just yeah. like firing off, firing off a couple of rounds. But uh, I mean, just, just to bring this all back to the whole Lucas Spielberg thing, watching uh, my son is heavily into Star Wars and we're just doing that beautiful journey through Empire Strikes Back. And there's the bit with the snow monster. He's going to chop his arm off. It's like, oh shit! Should I pause and like, no, I watched it when I was seven. He can watch it, exactly. <laughs> and it's like that for Indiana Jones. That's what I'm trying to talk about. What I love about what Lucas and Spielberg seem to do, what they've done with these films, is they really push the envelope. Yeah, kid. Yeah, you know, this is what happened in the war. This is what happened. Yeah. in you know, Nazi. T- it's like people were getting shot and impaled and stabbed and whatever. And we're going to show you. We're not going to show you all the horrible gore, Tarantino style, but we yeah. are going to show you what happened. And so I don't know. I think I feel like it's necessary. But I, I one thing I sort of noticed this time around, and again, it's you know it's it's nothing new. But yeah, watching that the second part of the cold open, where it fast forwards to him on that Portuguese boat getting the shit beaten out of him, is the amount. And it's the the thing I love about these original trilogy and these films is the amount of practical. Um, effects, you know the fact, the fact there's, you know, gallons of water pouring in the the the, the whole. I was boat trying to work set. out where's this been shot. It's probably been shot in pine wood or something. But yeah, I think so it is. It's just, yeah, and it's just like all of this water and like yeah, 
it's yeah. like, is it, uh, and then there's adult me going, it's an, an amazing studio feat. And today, unfortunately, probably green screen, as cynical for us to say, maybe they would still yeah. do elements of this with, with, um, well, yeah. Well, now we've obviously we've yet to see uh, the Dial of Destiny, um, but yeah, I recently rewatched um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and that's still my main sort of takeaway. My thoughts haven't changed since it came out. Is that one of the the biggest offences it does is just the amount of CG, and you can say, oh, well, that's that's just the way films are made, but it just feels so video gamey and so like i i tried watching it the other night so go on no no i was just to say it's just there's too many cgi sequences whereas you know we talk about that jurassic park effect of that perfect balance between practical and c and t2 as well practical and cgi enhancements whereas there's just too much cgi in, in crystal skull I think it's about creativity. Like the best directors out there are like, um, and we have seen, I, I think you could like just slight tangent, talk about Cameron. There's elements or, no, of, or Nolan, you know. Oh, no, no, no. But I yeah. think what I can say about Cameron is there's times with where he's proven that he's like, I don't want to do too much CGI. It detracts from the story. And there's been other elements of Cameron. that, like, oh, look at this shiny thing. Isn't it amazing? Let's do too much of it. So, like, you can understand why directors get carried away. But I think I tried watching uh, Crystal Skull. If we're going to do a Crystal Skull tangent on this. And, yeah, I just felt like it was beyond the point of it didn't carry the story along, didn't add anything to it. And he's great. This is the thing. And this is why you could see them. I'm sure this is why we're going to we're not going to talk about Dial of Destiny now. But it's like it's like you put Harrison Ford in a fedora. Could you look like a grisly archaeologist who can kick ass any day of the week? That guy can at any age, it would appear. Yeah. Well, that's it. I think my, my my thoughts are still the same. Just to like sum up Crystal Skull, it's a great opening, and even with the nuking the fridge sequence, it's yeah, you're seeing him back. He he sit, slips back into character so seamlessly, he can still carry it off. And it's then it's only really in the latter half that it really dials up the the silliness of the aliens and the the, the shonky CGI, and that's where it falls apart. Sadly. I, I can remember coming across this uh, this term more in computer game law, which was about we would. I think this was. I think it was actually in terms of The Last of Us. It was like, look, whatever it is, we would all just like to spend more time with these characters. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And I think that's the curse of Indiana Jones is that we're all so much in love. It's like, how hard can it be? Find something hidden somewhere where. Yeah, other people are going for it. There's gonna be peril and chase and special effects to make a movie out of it. It's almost I can't. I'm surprised that they've. I mean, I went to see Transformers the other day, <laughs> you know, and it was as good but as any seventh other, Transformers. I think as, as as good as probably the last five. Not as good as the first, but better mm. than maybe other other ones. Who cares, <laughs> you know? But um, so. Indy hasn't had that sort of treatment, but you could understand with the perfection of the setup why they might yeah. try and do it. So um, I think we've covered, I know we're getting close to doing Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda and stuff. Is there anything you want to talk about, about the film itself before we jump into that, George? I mean, I know Temple of Doom is technically a prequel, but this feels like more of a direct sequel to Raiders. It's that let's take that formula of the continually 
evolving adventure and escapades. I mean, it is just nonstop, isn't it? In terms of, yeah, you've got a very action-packed opening. You have a little bit of, you know, economic exposition about what is the grail and what's the mission. But then you've got... (laughs) You've got boat chase, you've got bike chase, you've got car chase, air, airplanes, zeppelins. The chases um, ta- are so good. And the, tanks, and the ta- horses, it's got everything. But even the catacombs, the motorbikes, the, the, but the catacombs with the rats and the petrol, I love that. I, I think even that as a scene is like, I feel like it's like a, it's like we talked about this with Marvel. It's like a victory lap. It's like, I like to think that... Spielberg and Lucas sat down and they went through and they're like, okay, so well, it, it, that's what it feels like. It's it's almost like a greatest hits. Well, just just to get back to that CGI versus practical, do you want some rat facts? Give me the rat facts. How many rats were were not harmed? Rats can't be harmed. So obviously, you can't just use any rats. You have to use well, hopefully, for, if you're working with actors, disease-free rats. So Lucasfilm ordered a thousand disease-free rats for the catacomb sequences um, from the same company that did the bugs and snakes uh, in the previous movies. And within five months, this company breeded uh, five thousand real rats, specially for the sequence. Um, We're out of rats, sir. But, so. but, but <laughs> then, rats, Charlie. Man. There were a thousand mechanical rats made for the scenes where the rats were set on fire. So with the okay, yeah, like squirreling in, in the water. Um, was yeah, it I just don't... me, or did you feel that those scenes of the rat in her hair were longer than needed? I felt oh. like there was still maybe some divorce sort of like process going on. And then, yeah, no, the rats are in a hair. And she's screaming. She's really screaming. And Indy's abandoned her. Okay, can we just cut the no longer? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there are there are some, and I think again, like it's the same formula in Raiders in terms of this time you've got globe trotting. Uh, obviously, with Temple of Doom outside of the opening sequence, it's all set in in India, and you're in that one location. Whereas it just you have that sense of urgency that that pace of them globe trotting around and yeah you've got some fantastic sequences in in venice uh and then yeah the whole bike ch- the, the haunted castle bit you know with the, with the nazi <laughs> stronghold that feels very where eagles dare but yeah There's amongst- also, he keeps on turning up in venice ah venice such the u.s tourist it's, yeah. It's such, yeah i love it it's like oh but it's venice I, I just want the because there's a bit where he they're in the catacombs and he goes, ah, oh, rats. I just want lots of cutscenes of him walking into different rooms and just seeing different things. Ah, oh, nuts. And they're just being surrounded by yeah. nuts. But yeah, it's it's about 45 minutes before um, Mr. Connery turns up. Uh, what Junior. An, what, what an opening. I'm just going to smack. I'm going to take, well, basically... What's his entrance? I'm going to take out Indiana Jones, basically. Yeah. That's his entrance. But I think the reason why this film is so memorable and obviously there's there's their relationship, but the, you, the really unique thing about this film is, is Connery playing against type. It's the fact that he's so bookish, he's so nerdy, he's such yeah. a like a scaredy Nerd. cat. <laughs> and, he's, and he's the comic foil. And it's the fact that he gets most of the laughs and it's just him reacting to Indiana. And obviously, yeah, there's so much 
going on that's explaining why Indiana is so reckless, is, is, is you know, to rebel against his dad and, and what have you. But they have such insane chemistry and they all, you know, talk about how much fun it was. You know, Spielberg says it was the most fun out of all of them filming this. Harrison Ford's just saying, you know, it was such a delight to work with Connery. Connery was so relaxed and because it was almost against type and he was a bit more late, it was almost like, I think I've got a great, quote here he says yeah it was really great to work with an actor who doesn't give a shit i don't mean about the craft but about his ego we just clicked um for me what i couldn't get over is like the way that harrison ford looks at connery it's like it's like a son looking at his dad it's like they they encapsulate and i don't feel like I i feel like they were just on this thespian i don't know journey they were just like yeah so so i'm your dad and you're Indiana he, Jones. And they're probably both, he's probably saying, you know, I loved Raiders. And it's like, so I get to be your dad now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, despite them only being in reality 12 years difference. You've always made a joke about this, but like, yeah. I'm sorry, but that's the magic of cinema because. Oh, absolutely. Me, it's entirely believable from start to finish. And yes, let's not let, lest us not forget the towering size of Connery that in his heyday would have stood above uh, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Would he not? You know, he would have been looking down on him. Or at least toe to toe, you know, it's like. But that's what makes it more believable because you're like, even if you're like, well, uh, he can't be his dad. It's like, well, actually, yes, he could because when he was younger, he was like kind of looked like him. And this is the the thing because I was was watching this through Amazon via Paramount and a Jawa. I don't know how I was watching it. I was watching it through some sort of uh, Paramount TV trial thing. But the fact is that the Amazon picture is what I put on the group, what I sent to you. Isn't he glorious? Yeah. It's a, pit, it's a picture of Sean when I think he's um, somewhere between... In his prime. Dr. No and from Rush With Love. If, if not, yeah. like It's, it's like it's, a proper headshot from the, the oh early 60s. Oh, my God. It's just like... Yeah. So, and she's your father, Indiana. But no, I, I think I, I could never get tired. That There's the bit when they're at the tide on the chair. There's all of this. And it's like, so who's putting this film together? It's Spielberg. You know, it's like, so yeah. got, it's the fact there's this, you've got Lucas, you've got Spielberg, you've got Williams, you've got Connor, and you've got Harrison Ford. I don't know if we're showing our age, but it's like, how many other greats can you get together in a room? It's like, it's amazing. And I, th- I think there's, it's definitely got the most comedy out of all the films. And it does, but it, it doesn't lapse too much into parody. I mean, there's there's some great bits. The one of my favorite bits is the bit in the Venice Library where the guy's stamping the books and he's like <laughs> yeah. hammering on the floor. Um, but yeah, you also have that that great cut scene of him talking about um, Marcus Brody. He's like, he knows languages. He'll blend in, and then it just cuts to. Uh, does anyone speak any English? <laughs> but then, of course, we get the the fact that Connery's took that all in. Like Henry Jones is like, but you said Marcus would be be hidden. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then there's also that moment is that I think it's on the air. She was like, I'm here. You can talk to me. Talk to me now. And so I just yeah. think they they capture everything so well. The fact that he's Henry Jones, he's Indiana Jones, he's doing what he's done. We we know he is the character from the other films. It's like it's like take your daughter to work day. It's like imagine Indiana Jones, but his dad's there. That sounds insane. No, yeah. no, wait for it. His dad is Sean Connery. Oh yeah. my god, that's what I feel like this film is to me. It was like it delivered and it delivered and delivered. So 
Um, should we talk about, I know you want to talk about could or would or should have, but isn't there some supporting actors that we should talk about a little bit? Obviously, you've got the returning characters. You have Salah. You've got like John. Bad Henry, dates. And his bad dates. You've Denim Elliott as Marcus Brody, which we'll we'll get back to. But you've also there's also quite a few Bond connections in this film. So you have obviously uh, Walter Donovan, uh, who plays uh, the for eyes only. Yeah, bad guy in Fiore's only. You obviously have, and also he's in uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yes, is as well. And I think he initially like auditioned for just what like the the Nazi stooge, you know, the, <laughs> just, the, just Nazi roles, basically. Well, well that's what it. It's sort of like, for? well, well, I've, I've been a, a space jaw. Nazi. I've, I've got I've, a good I've, jaw. I've got blonde hair. I'm basically just up for Nazi roles right now. Yeah. Uh, have you? Did you see my work as space Nazi number one <laughs> in, in Empire? But yeah, he he was just going for the I think Vogel, the you know the 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 Nazi captain guy, the really evil guy. Oh, he's brilliant though. Um, and he went for that, and then they said, "Oh no, we want you to come back and audition for for Donovan, the the lead." And he's like, "But I'm I'm not American," and he managed to to blag it. But yeah, he's great in it. It goes without saying some of the amazing stunts uh, by Vic Armstrong, you know, oh, legendary no, stuntman. I knew man. it was the big V. The big V's back in the house. Yeah, and one of the, I think he says one of the most dangerous stunts he's done is when he leaps off the horse onto the moving tank. You just the timing of everything to get that right. But yeah, some amazing stunts. Alison Doody as well as Elsa. So she was. Previously, Jenny Flex in A View to a Kill. So very quick um, role. Um, but the film she did before this, Charlie, uh, she's an Irish actress, was none other than Taffin with uh, Pierce Brosnan, which I think we're going to have to add to our revelations list. Um, well, if you're going to be like that, I don't think I want to live here. <laughs> <laughs> um, add, add soundtrack. So, uh, yeah, she was 21 at the time. So 21 in Irish playing uh, a 29-year-old uh, Austrian spy. But she's she brilliant well. in it. Yeah. And I think, you know, sort of like she's she, obviously she's she's beautiful. She's very, very confident, very, you know, great in the role. And it's just one of those things of, oh, it's a shame she didn't do more stuff. I like but the yeah. chemistry between her and uh, her. Oh, maybe it's just Harrison Ford. It, have you ever seen him not have chemistry with a woman? I don't know. He's got a, he was like the eighties version of, he was the eight. He was before George Clooney. That was, that was True. the type guy. You know, he was just like, he's 47 when this film was made. Cause I was looking at how he's thrown himself around. I don't feel like do the dad comparison. Like how old is he? Am I younger than yeah. him? Or am I older? He's like, he's 47 in this film. Wow. That's, that's impressive. Considering he does, we've talked about the, you know, the amazing yeah, Dick Armstrong, but he still does a lot of his own like horse riding. And I was just watching some video of him. I think it was for Esquire chatting about his career. And he talked about how, he fell in love with the the horse that he rode in this and he wanted to like, you know, buy it and he wasn't able to and stuff like that. He said, oh, he was a great horse. You know, he was, he, he was unafraid to get close to a tank and stuff like that. So yeah. Can it's, we, um, should we talk about that set piece for a second? Because I, that's what I felt like I was getting my just desserts of my love of Raiders in this film. Cause it's yeah. like, it's done well. It's not too long because it is longer in Raiders. 
and I think we, we, we talked about this in the one or two episodes when we covered Raiders, but that is one of the best set pieces ever. You know, like Yes, the, the, the truck that, chase. The, yeah. Whatever you want to call it, the truck to tank, to horse, to, yeah. to truck again. It's one of the best set pieces ever. So in this, they do just it's just a great homage. And I think, and it's more, well, what can we change about it? Let's make it shorter and let's have much more explodey boom boom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was. I think originally it was set to be like a two two day filming and I think Spielberg just kept coming up with ideas of like, oh let's do that and let's do that inside the tank and it turned into like 12 days of filming but yeah there's so much going on there's Connery's in the tank battling away Indiana's, with Denim Elliott yeah. Indiana's trying to get to the tank but being gunned out like from all, all angles then then he's fighting on top of the tank they're inside the tank it's and then whilst racing towards the the cliff edge it's but comparatively compared to raiders it's a very contained tank scene for an indiana jones film oh no absolutely but it is just it's a masterclass in action in terms of the stakes the pacing um again yeah just that practical thing they they built two different tanks they had like a really heavy one uh, and then a lighter one so the bits where you're seeing Harrison Ford's like face being held next to the tank tracks and Sean Connery on it. That's obviously the lighter, more sort of stunty type one. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's just a, a phenomenal sequence. And if anything, obviously it's it slows. You know, it's not an anticlimax, but the the whole bit at the end with the trials is quite a sort of subdued ending, I suppose. I feel like that's why we've had this this final chase with the tanks like well we can't just go to petra walking through the yeah. gates and do the trials so that we have to give the audience something else but i think i read somewhere that the motorbike chase was was a reshoot it was like they felt that there was a sort of almost more. like a dip <laughs> a dip in the second act it was like oh we need to add something else i could just... imagine yeah. there probably was yeah and so that's why i suppose you don't really notice it when you watch it for the first time but that's all filmed in california that's not in germany or austria and it's you know it's don't, it's, don't think, worry about that it's it's around the but you know the, the backwards i think of george lucas's ranch don't worry about that okay george so i think we've 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 gone through our highlights of the film um what else is there to be said um so yeah i mean i think you need to talk about I, I don't know if you talked about this on on microphone or not, but yes, this was originally set to be the, the final instalment. Yeah, this was apparently the last Indiana Jones film we would ever get. Yeah, so it was it, it was in the reviews. Uh, you, you know, you were sharing a, an Ebert review with me before we start recording, and even uh, I've got here. There's a, a Daily Variety article from June 1989 where both Spielberg and Lucas announced this was the last in the series. So That's it. We've done it. Yeah. And I was even reading a, an Empire review in two, that was dated back in 2000. I think it might have been for the original DVD release that said, oh, you know... Um, it's you know it's not as good as as Raiders, but it's a fitting last entry for the Indiana Jones saga. And it's like, uh, yeah, about that. So yeah, I mean, um, before coulda woulda, oh, no, should we should we do coulda woulda, and then we can talk about thoughts and and hopes on on the franchise as a whole. And yeah, let's get let's. So who was considered? 
for the role of Marcus Brody if he didn't come back from his touring? Um, Sorry, so, I mean Indiana Jones. I mean Indiana Jones. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Uh, so it's uh, the only, and I've got um, a couple of could have should have. So if Connery had declined, um, they had Gregory Peck and John Hannibal H- Hannibal from eighty. No, no, that's um, that's George oh, Pepard. George George Pepard. No, Gregory Pepard. Peck is um, you know famous. Um, but screen isn't he older idol. than George Pepard, Gregory Peck. Yeah, yeah, because Gregory... You'd be, like, um, too old compared to Connery. Well, I think he might have just been (laughs) age-accurate. You know, whereas Connery was acting older, you know, 17 years younger or whatever than... I think the Connery and Harrison Ford thing, for me, it's believable, it's it's sexy... And it's it's you, well, sexy yeah, it's magic. It's sexy it's the fact that he's geeky, but then when he's it's revealed he slept with Elsa, it's just that Connery eyebrow, and you're like, okay, I believe him. Yeah, I, I believe him. I believe him. <laughs> Apparently, Sir Lawrence Olivier was lined up to play the the Grail Knight, but had to bow out due to failing health. So that was going to be wow. a little cameo at the end there. That could have been nice. So yeah, this is uh, some some trivia I shared with with Charlie um, about Denham Elliott, who who sadly I think died of AIDS in the early nineties. I think it was an um, amazing actor, a proper thesp, but a national treasure. Fantastic actor, and you know, obviously we talked about how brilliant he is in Trading Places as well. But it seemed like he was, to paraphrase Monty Python, a bit of a goer. So this was shared <laughs> on Twitter recently. And I think, I don't know where it's from, but it says here, when Denham Elliott first confessed to attending orgies, Susan instinctively declared the marriage over and the couple agreed to a trial separation. But on the flight home, she decided to try again. And within a week, they had patched their relationship up. Back in Ibiza, his affairs continued, his taste (laughs) running to the exotic, including Chinese waiters, Moroccan gigolos, Spanish garage attendants, Barbadian shop assistants, and even a hunchbacked Haitian dwarf. Well, he's not fussy. The man had an appetite that would make Freddie Mercury blush. But all he loves attention. He he's got a lot of love to give. Let's just say that. But um a man who's picked his films. I don't know what he did in his earlier career. I just remember the stuff he did in the 80s. Like, I feel like we see actors like that who come into their own and they're like, um, there's the Bill Nye's. There's, you know, there's like, what yeah. did they do when they were younger? Because like right now they're like shit hot. And like, yeah. that's what Denham Elliott was during the 80s. There's, um, there's a great miniseries called, I think, If Tomorrow Comes about a girl who gets... Um, She's tra- she's backpacking in Thailand and some guys plants drugs and he's got to get her out of prison or she's going to get shot. And it's a real hard... And he's like, that's where he's at. He's like, here, he's there, he's everywhere. But I don't know what he did in his earlier career. I don't think I'd discovered... Well, Daniel I should say... Really I think like he, 60. 60 you know? Yeah, no, I think he was one of these people... It was, yeah, a theatre thesp and probably did a bit of TV. I think, was he was he in Chariots of Fire? I You know, I'm... I'm probably... probably Probably. But yeah, he was a proper thesper, a brilliant, very talented um, British actor. Um, And he had a lot of love 
to give. <laughs> so, uh, no. Um, so, George, what else should we talk about? Um, so, yeah, I, I say I think this it's um, I was really struggling to think issues I have with this film. What are this film's weaknesses? And it's really clutching at straws. You could say, oh, it's, you know, it's a slave to the the formula established by Raiders some of the some of the effects whilst you know there are some brilliant practical effects some of the there is some matte sort of cgi stuff that looks a little bit rough these days but i'm i say that's i'm unfair. really i think that's unfair. it's it's unfair it's it, it looked fantastic at the time it was cutting edge at the time and yeah i i really struggled to have a bad it's the same with raiders i, I you know I, I find that film is is pretty much flawless um and, I can't. Yeah. I, I, I'm. I'm actually. I'm really motivated now to do Temple of Doom. Now that we decided to do this one first, I'm like, that is so standalone because this is going back to type. This is very yes. much okay. Uh, maybe everybody didn't get our artistic vision on Temple of Doom, but we did, and like, it's terrifying. It's uncomfortable. Um, it's like the best comedy out there. It's like Alan Partridge. It's like you love it, but it's like it feels horrible watching it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. It's like, what does real danger, real peril involve? Well, horrible beasties. But anyway, and, I, and as you say, you know, you've got the the one of the key points in that film is the relationship between him and and Short Round. Yeah. Kwan. Um, so yeah, I no, I think we will we will definitely get round we'll to get it. To, I I I so Kiho Kwan, I think is. He after winning an Oscar, he's going to do something. He's going. Yeah. I've got. A, I've got a special. Keep, feeling keep, about keep that your guy. eye on him. Um, yeah, I get a special feeling about that special guy. But um, but yeah, I think with, with yes, they they should have really stopped with with this one with Last Crusades. Though I am, you know, cautiously, I don't know, cautiously optimistic, but I will go and see Dial of Destiny. Well, people might not be. Uh, familiar if you're not a sort of diehard film fan but Spielberg has passed on the baton to James Mangold uh, James Mangold has done some great films uh, Logan 310 to Yuma he's also done uh, I think he did Night and Day he did Ford Logan versus Ferrari all quality films for my yeah. part yeah so he's he's done some great films as as we've said you know it's just Harrison Ford's one of his best characters he's born to play it he has such charm who knows what's going to be? Obviously, there's going to be some digital face replacement stuff of him seeing it. Indian as youth. He's back fighting the Nazis. He's it's been filmed uh, at Bambra, Bambra Castle near where you know Charlie and I grew up. So yeah, it's. I think it's. It, we're going to be rushing out to see it, but you know, it's. I think it's. It's one of those things that they probably should have called it a day a long time ago. Well, all I can say about Indiana Jones is that it's probably more accessible than Bond in some ways. I can just remember being uh, back in Manchester in the day, sort of just just after university. Even, you know, you could say, oh, I'm going to watch Bond film. Sounds like a bit of a guy's thing. But the thing about Indiana Jones is that guys, girls, everybody loves Indiana Jones. That's the thing. It's like it's a proper adventure. I think it transcends, whereas you could say that Indiana, uh, Star Wars and Bond, you know, they're a bit boy, boy type yeah. stuff. You put, it's classic. And I think, it, I think that's why they keep going back and wanting to drink from the well and not necessarily Lucas and uh, Spielberg. 
like they just created something so pure it's like so adventure it's so cowboy it's so period and the fact we talked about this when we covered raiders the fact because it's period it works yeah because and you actually, can do a great period film with modern day technology and special effects and screenwriting and blah 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 and money you can do it well yeah but as as we probably talked about um for raiders i don't know don't know if it was out by then but you know the the imitators that i've i've, I've been since you know ironically both originally video games but you have tomb raider the tomb raider films and you have uncharted and the uncharted films and they're both leaning heavily on that globe trotting adventure adventure mold formula borrowed from indiana and it just doesn't work it doesn't work as it feels shallow and you know uh, i thought the i think i described to you the uncharted film as as dumb but fun you know i was absolutely you know it was so formulaic and cgi heavy and i'd rather probably be playing the game but you know i i was entertained for whilst it was on i'm not going to rush back and watch it but you know i'd seen the stunts done better elsewhere like living daylights and, and other stuff so like, yeah i'm not in a hurry to see it and as you say, I think I probably, I'm more likely to go back and play Uncharted. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it's an odd one because Ford makes the role so iconic. You know, it's a bit like the sort of... It's his role. It's his role. Yeah. Well, they tried, obviously, with, um, with Solo to recast it. And, you know, to be fair to Ol- Olin Eric Reich, I think he does an admirable job. And it's, it doesn't, it's not really his fault that film's just a bit of a average mehness it's what it's would just... you prefer though would you prefer i mean because i think they, they made the fatal mistake is it's uncastable you could yeah if, you, oh, you can't never, recast it if we're making an indiana jones film in 2023 and they're using harrison ford to me that tells you regardless of how good this actor is old and whatever is oh, right yeah yeah i haven't seen any of his other stuff sorry just go with the CGI. They should have just superimposed. It's like, it's like, well, we can't change Harrison Ford from Indiana Jones. It's like, I feel like Indiana Jones was the gift that Lucas and Spielberg gave to to uh, Harrison Ford. Like, you did such a good job as yeah. Han Solo, and you were kind of, you know, you you were in their story. You were such a big player, but you kind of fitted our. What could we give you? You know, type thing. That's what I feel yeah. like it was, and they. I feel like they 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 designed the role around him more. And then to take that away from it and to give it to another actor, whereas I almost feel like they should have done the opposite. I almost feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, but like not Kingdoms, but if we're getting an Indiana Jones, I would be more open to another actor playing Indiana Jones now than yeah. I would be the whole, I, the, well, the disaster, I'm sorry to say, that was the Han Solo film. It is a good film. It is a good film. He is a good actor. It is a good film. But it should have been inspired by it. They should have called it something else. Trying to pass it off as an origin story for for another actor, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, it's it's a funny one because I think obviously you've the, got to the... handle it like Bond. You've got to do it like Bond, where you like you cut you cut the cord like Bond does. Yeah. Or yeah. you do you know what I mean? You either cut the cord or you do something clever. And they're yeah. like, no, it's 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 Harris, it's Harrison, it's a younger Harrison Ford. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You know. Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting one because obviously the the digital face replacement stuff does look really good um, from what I've seen, and it's almost like, oh well, 
maybe we could get a few more prequel adventures out of this, you know, and Harrison Ford said, you know, it's, it's, it's my acting. They're just, they've taken this footage from the other films, run it through AI. My and paycheck, it's, and it's his performance, <laughs> yeah. but with an AI filter on top of it. But he has to be behind that performance. You, you know, he's not, mocap hours of mocap. Well, that's it. He's not getting any younger, though, is he? I think he's eighty now, and so even if you say, "Oh, we could do a few, few more," you've still got to have Harrison Ford doing those mannerisms because, yes, you can try and replicate it, but. In a, in a computer, you, you still got it. it goes back to... He's, you know, 80, even, he's 81. He's 81. And, and, and even James Cameron will say it always goes back to the performance rather than, you know, you can have all the technology and the great sp- special effects, but it's grounded by human performances. I think, sorry, I rambled on quite a bit, but yeah, I'm going to go and see it. We'll, I'm sure we'll share our thoughts on the new one when we get round to both seeing it. It's an exciting time. We've got so many good films to see. Uh, we've got, uh, obviously, Flashpoint. We've got Indiana Jones. We've got Mission Impossible. So our, all of our listeners should be listening out because we'll be covering what we can on the podcast when it relates to these films that are coming out. We may do Mission Impossible 2 again. Um, what are we, are we doing anything to connect with Mission uh well no we, we're not actually i mean i think we'll probably do on our patreon we, we always do uh some oh we'll recent do recent, rambles but i'm saying we'll, on the original on the retro ramble monthlies we're not doing anything connecting to mission no no we we uh i think we've got to wait a while before Real we do before Real um but are you, is this leading on to what do you want to do do next well we have um no yeah, i don't this... think we should i don't think we should tell them i think we should it's well, summer it's a time of excitement well, I think we we can add a coming soon, uh, and I think I've I've referenced it in other podcasts. But we are doing it's, uh, the fortieth anniversary of both Octopussy and Never Say Never Again. We're going to do the battle for Bond uh, later as a summer episode. So we've got more Sean and Roger coming up later on oh, our regular on. retro ramble. I'm not sure how I can't believe we haven't given Never Say Never Again its own episode because just George and I doing impressions of Max Largo could be an episode in itself, but we'll do what we can. Anything else we need to mention, George, before we sign off and get us on retroramble.blog for the blog where you can access everything, everything we've ever put out there. You can access it through the convenience of your own phone or PDA or pager, uh, whatever mm. you're using. Um, um but no yeah thank you to to all the listeners for all their their support their comments um please like and subscribe share thank you to all our our patrons um we've, yeah we've got a lot of stuff on patreon um plenty of stuff there if you enjoy what we do on the regular podcast so check us out on patreon.com but yes thank you for listening and we'll see you soon excellent well for this episode i've been charlie mcgee I've been George McGinn. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.